Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Vynamic, Trending Health features industry guests and panelists who explore topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Mindy McGrath, Vynamic's healthcare industry advisor. Digital solutions have been a cornerstone of life sciences marketing efforts for some time. Will this trend continue? And how do life sciences organizations continue utilizing digital strategies and tools to enhance customer and patient experience, education, and engagement? On today's episode of Trending Health, we are taking a deeper look at this topic with friend of Dynamic, Ryan Billings, head of U.S. Oncology, Digital Marketing, and Customer Experience with GlaxoSmithKline. With many years of social media and digital experience spanning across various healthcare organizations, Ryan is with us today to discuss some interesting evolution, opportunities, and challenges in digital marketing. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, so, Ryan, I, you have this tremendous experience in this space, and you've seen a lot of evolution um, over, over the years that you've been working in it. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what some of the overall trends are that you're seeing related to digital and life sciences organizations? Absolutely. So I think the most interesting thing about my journey um, as I've been in life sciences and specifically the pharmaceutical industry is just the kind of openness that has gradually happened um, when it comes to digital. And, you know, we talk a lot about our industry and how there's often a risk aversion to trying new things, especially in these kind of uncharted, um, unpioneered spaces. And we're often talking about how we are years behind other industries. But I think in recent years, we've almost had no choice but to lean in. Um, and I'm just amazed at how far we've come, even in just the past six years. Um, I think back to, for instance, when the FDA first released draft guidance on social media and mobile in 2014. Um, it really forced us to start thinking that way, um, along with some other things, like the fact that our customers were already there. So um, I've just been overall really impressed with how quickly we've become more and more open to digital solutions in life sciences. And it's interesting to me, across the healthcare continuum, the word digital in and of itself means a lot of different things to a lot of different sectors. So just for purposes of, of our conversation today, can you tell me, how, how do you see digital? How does it show up and how would you define it? Sure, yeah, that's a really great question. You know, to me, the question that's easier to answer is what is not digital? And again, when it comes to life sciences, again, specifically the pharmaceutical industry, we are one of the only industries that still splits out digital into a separate bucket. And I think that that is going to change in the near future. Our lives are digital. Um, our lives are run by our mobile phones um, now more than ever. So yeah, I mean, I, I really believe that Again, everything, almost everything is digital, and even things that are not digital inherently, like TV. Um, oftentimes that is digital because we're streaming everything on TV now. There's connected TV, there's addressable TV. 
Um, those types of channels and mediums are extremely targeted. They are um, they have a lot of data behind them. There's a reason why you're seeing what you're seeing on those channels. Um, and we often don't even think about it that way or know that that's happening. Um, and even some of the mediums and channels that aren't inherently digital, we have to think about them in the kind of greater holistic continuum of all these other digital tactics too, and how do they all work together? So I think that it's impossible to really think about any tactic without thinking about digital. When you think about it, it really is part of what's embedded throughout everything that's done to try to engage HCPs or, or patients. Exactly, yeah. I think at the center, um, it's no longer, you know, that just creative campaign. It's really the customer at the center now. Um, what do they need? What are they expecting? How do they receive information? How can we personalize that? Um, it's no longer about the channel necessarily. It's about the behavior. So that raises um, a question for me, Alan. What are you learning about how people are behaving when it comes to digital? Sure. So it's been really interesting to see how not only mobile and digital adoption has increased um, so rapidly in recent years, but also how our kind of brains and attention spans have evolved alongside that and what the implications are for the content that we put out. Um, to give you an idea, um, so 2017 was the year of the mobile majority. So that was the first time globally that over 50% of the global online population was accessing the internet from their phones. Um, that has only increased since then. I know that was over three years ago. Um, similarly, today, people thumb through um, 300 feet of content every day on Facebook alone. And that's the size um, or the, the height of the Statue of Liberty. So if you think about it, um, we're glued to our phones. We are going through so much content. Um, so how do we as brands adapt and catch people's attention? Studies also show that um, we have evolved since 2014 to be able to process thoughts in a fraction of a second. And that's because of how much time we're spending on mobile. So we as brands need to be able to compete with hundreds of thousands of literal feet of content every day on someone's phone um, and really create that thumb stopping creative, um, make sure that our messaging and our campaigns are very snackable and to the point um, to really draw people in because we're, again, we're competing with every industry and um, we're competing with all different kinds of creative and um, content. If you think about this from a digital, from a customer experience standpoint, how do you think other industries have kind of set the bar for where pharma or how pharma needs to be thinking about digital in relation to expectations that customers already have with experiences in other industries? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, so if I'm a consumer, which I am, 
I am used to ordering my coffee on my phone, going and picking it up without having to talk to anyone. Um, I can watch whatever I want, whenever I want, from the comfort of my own home. Um, why should healthcare be any different? You know, I don't care as a consumer that the company that makes my medication is under strict regulations or that they are a conservative industry. That's not my problem. What I need is I need answers to my questions when I need them. And I need those answers on the channels that are most convenient for me and where I'm already interacting with uh, airlines and um, entertainment companies. You know, like for me, it's, it's not about um, adhering to the regulations of the pharma industry. Um, I really own the power now and I'm going to influence as the customer how the companies that provide me my products and services, how they react and how they provide that information to me. That's going to really affect, um, you know, if I continue to utilize these companies. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I'm getting at is that we are no longer competing with just our direct competitors. We're competing with Amazon, Netflix, Starbucks, Uber, Domino's, companies we would have never, ever thought about. The companies that, um, when I think about the companies you just mentioned, right, they're good at engaging every day in a consumer's life and then activating consumers in a way that creates a sustainable relationship. In thinking about how much evolution there's been in digital and the way that you think about it from a consumer standpoint, does it look or feel different when you think about HCPs and how you reach them and, and really engage with them differently from consumers? Yeah, so I think one of the other funny things about traditional pharmaceutical marketing is that we have always very strictly split up HCPs and patients or consumers. And I think very recently we are starting to really come to terms with the fact that um, they're both people at the end of the day. Um, you know, we know that over 90% of hematology oncologists, for instance, are using their smartphones throughout the day for professional use. Um, we also know that they're on social media platforms, um, just like we are. And Dr. Smith, he's not going to go by Dr. Smith when he goes home at the end of the day. So, um, and I think a great example very recently of how this is playing out is actually with COVID-19. Um, there was recently an article in the New York Times, probably a couple of weeks um, after everything really came to a head in the U.S. with quarantine and the cases really spiking. Um, and that article was talking about how physicians were creating groups on Facebook to compare cases, talk about their experiences on the front lines. And I think that was really interesting because we've always thought about Facebook as the place where we are going to target patients only. And the fact of the matter is physicians have always been on Facebook. They've always been on Instagram. They've always been all of these very consumer social channels. Um, we just didn't really know if they were using them for professional purposes. We thought they were more of a quote unquote blue jeans type of social media platform for doctors. But um, we're now seeing that they're already spending their time there. So they're not gonna switch back and forth from Facebook to Doximity to get their questions answered 
why do that when everyone's already on this platform? So we're seeing more and more um, kind of thinking around, okay, so how do we start to target physicians on these kind of previously only thought of as consumer platforms? We're seeing more and more opinion leaders actually take their message out to social media. Should pharma companies fear those, those organic conversations or to your point, should they lean into them? You know, one of the things we've learned with channels like social media is that we can't control the conversation. However, the conversations are happening with or without us. I remember back in the early days of kind of getting onto social media from um, an industry perspective, we were talking about that a lot. And like, is it worse to not be part of those conversations or is it better to dip our toe and try to be part of them? And, and we did go that route, but I think for a long time, it was in a very inauthentic and canned way. You know, a lot of brands were just only putting out these kind of canned responses and it just wasn't authentic. And we have been far surpassed by other industries when it comes to that sort of thing and being able to be nimble and agile and have authentic organic conversations. That being said, I think you're spot on with the fact that influencer marketing is probably the most powerful medium at this point. I mean, we've all seen things like the Fire Festival documentary. Uh, we've seen the Kardashians putting up posts, you know, talking about different products and those products sell out within minutes. So, um, and the truth is we, we've always kind of operated um, as an industry under the notion that um, peers and thought leaders um, in the industry are the best sources of information and really um, the ones that are going to help create trust between um, our brands and their base. So the question is, how do we activate these digital influencers in a compliant way? Um, my feeling has always been that we need to be asking how, and I think it's just really critical to start looking at other industries that have been successful doing this, but then also taking into account what are the rules and regulations and guidelines in place for working with key opinion leaders? What do those policies and standards look like across other channels with like speaker programs and different engagements? And how can we translate that over to digital? So I think if we take the time to sit down with our partners and really you know, start thinking about that and working that out that um, we could start small and then kind of grow those kind of programs as long as the content that we're putting out and that we're co-creating with those influencers is helpful and that it's appropriate. And I think the most important piece is that we are making sure that those influencers or opinion leaders are being transparent that they are working with a company. And when you think about measuring the impact of, of these types of initiatives, um, not as, as easy as it used to be to measure ROI on, on these types of things. So what's your take on what the best types of measurements were, are when it comes to thinking about digital or social um, engagements or interactions that, that a company might invest in? 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to the objectives of your business and the KPIs of your specific campaign. I certainly remember the early days of things like social media marketing in pharma and honestly in other industries too, where the question was always like, well, what's the ROI of social? You know, and that was always a really difficult question to answer. Um, and unfortunately, that's why things like social media marketing often got pushed into being more of an afterthought. I think that um, as we have matured as an industry, our partners um, at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Doximity, um, they have also matured a lot as well. And they will partner with us as life science companies to help us to set up these campaigns for success. Um, they have created new ad units like lead gen ads within the platforms where we can measure things like leads generated, uh, if that's you know a KPI of ours. Um, we can do things like pixel the ads correctly, pixel our other properties on our own sites and our partner sites so we can get that kind of 360 degree view. Um, because I think the other thing that's really important when it comes to social and some of these other more innovative channels is that we can't measure the success of them in a vacuum. We need to look at, okay, well, what are the other drivers? Um, what are the other touch points that our customers are interacting with and where we're meeting them? And where do these tactics fall within that continuum? Um, and how do we measure them all kind of holistically? I'd like to, to hone in a little bit on just the oncology space because that's the area that you've been working in. Um, understanding that the profile of, of those disease states tend to have smaller patient populations that really could benefit right, from patients being connected to other patients. How do you see social media playing a role um, in, in helping with those connection points? Yeah, so honestly, I think that being able to connect patients with each other who probably would have never otherwise met um, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest value add of social media. Um, I think it's, it's a super important reason why we should be setting up these kind of safe spaces for these patients to connect. And there's so many awesome examples of patient communities out there. There are a lot of freestanding patient community sites um, like my health teams. And then there's also um, very user generated um, patient communities that patients will create themselves. And there's also patient communities through advocacy organizations, as well as through life sciences and pharmaceutical manufacturers that we've been able to set up for them when we've seen kind of a gap in that um, therapeutic area or disease state. So that's just been super rewarding in general to hear the stories and to see patients connecting with each other. You know, I think we assume a lot of times that patients have big networks of family and friends. And at the end of the day, like, that's not always the case. Everybody's situation is very different. So there have been patients that have said, you know, I have been feeling very alone and this community has really given me a network and um, has allowed me to connect with people from all over the world that really understand what I'm going through. So that's one of the most rewarding things ever um, when it comes to social media and healthcare. Um, what I do think is really important though is, you know, we need to 
be designing with and not for these patients. I think that's a critical piece of the customer experience. Um, a lot of times, or in the past rather, we have been designing for our customers instead of bringing them to the table and saying, what do you need? What would be helpful from a channel perspective or a content perspective? And a really awesome example of what we're doing at GSK is um, we actually have an oncology patient council where we have patients that are battling cancer, specifically the types of cancers in which we work in. And we asked them what would be helpful for you. And they have helped us design a lot of the social content um, that we're putting out. And I remember specifically, we were talking about um, some lifestyle content, you know, diet and exercise, that sort of stuff, maybe recipes for cancer patients. And we had a very real discussion about, you know, I don't need that information. I can get that anywhere. Um, what I don't have is how do I talk to my employer about the fact that I have cancer? How do I talk to my partner? Um, what about my sex life now that I'm battling cancer? Really just topics that maybe we haven't wanted to talk about or we just haven't thought about through the lens of a cancer patient. And I think that that is a really awesome example of creating with and not for and being able to then tap into these patient communities and really provide um, that really helpful information for them. One last question as we wrap things up. As you think about just the evolution that you've seen in social and digital, um, where do you think the lost opportunity might be in digital and social? And what can be done about it? Yeah, it's funny. I think I feel like people ask me all the time, like, what's the next big thing? And um, it's never something I think that we can really predict. But when it comes to kind of the lost opportunity, I think that every opportunity is possible. I think it's really up to us as an industry to continue to decide what do we want to dedicate time to navigating. Um, there's a really popular saying in pharma specifically, and that's no one wants to be first, but everyone wants to be second. And I think that's because there is so much legwork to being the pioneer, um, especially in our industry when there's so much red tape and so much frustration. I think it's just important to kind of take a step back and say, what are we trying to solve from a business problem standpoint? And not say, you know, this voice search opportunity is really cool or this mobile solution is really interesting you know that kind of shiny object syndrome um, the more that we can ground ourselves and just take it back to what do our customers need what do our patients need and what are we trying to solve that will help us sift through all those opportunities um, that being said i can name a few opportunities that i think have gotten a little lost and we could dedicate more time to I think there's a lot more opportunity with data. I think we've only scratched the surface. Um, of course, due to rules and regulations and privacy, um, it's not so easy for us sometimes to get the most personalized content out in the right moments, but I think we're getting there. Um, I also think from a corporate responsibility perspective, we could do a better job of 
not only providing access to our patients, but um, at least using the power of digital and social to let them know that those programs exist and just to create more convenience around those programs. Again, I'm thinking back to Starbucks and their amazing app and how I could just order my coffee. How could we translate that over to access and getting the care that I need? Um, so starting to, to roll out some of those opportunities. But thanks for, for enlightening us. This was an incredibly interesting conversation and I just love hearing um, stories from folks that are doing the work day to day and really seeing how things are progressing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So that was a great discussion with Ryan. And to recap what we heard from him and also discuss the topic further, I'm joined by my dynamic teammates, Mike Catone and Allie Seminence. How's everyone doing today? Great, Mindy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mindy. Happy to be here. Great. So guys, I, I want to ask, what is on your mind when it comes to digital? Because there's a lot to think about and there's a lot going on in this space. Sure. So I think, um, Mindy, you know, given what we're seeing right now in the pandemic environment with, you know, most folks continuing to work from home, I think it's even more important to have a pulse on what's happening in the digital world because our lives, which over the past um, many years have continued to become more and more digital in nature. I think all of that has really been exacerbated by this, you know, stay at home world that we're living in. Um, so it's interesting to see how that effect is really amplifying some of the trends that we've already been tracking within the digital space. Yeah. And Ali, that's a great point. I think the idea that digital has been encroaching on everyday aspects of our lives up until this point um, is kind of dwarfed by the realization that we were forced to go digital for the vast majority of our interactions, purchases, et cetera. And basically any activity you wanna carry out, you've gotta go digitally at some point um, throughout, throughout this sort of stay at home. And I think it's a really good opportunity for corporations, brands, health providers to really think about how they engage with people digitally uh, because there are great experiences coming out of this and there are some experiences which have remained the same. And the more and more great experiences consumers are having, the more and more they will expect that um, from every interaction they might have uh, with a product or a brand. And I think the thing that was interesting to me or what's on my mind is just this, this whole idea of um, the, the floodgates being let loose, right? It's like now that, that um, people are kind of accustomed to what this experience might and could feel like and how it could even improve, it feels like digital's here to stay. And so now how do you make it part of just the way that you engage with, mm -hmm. with your end users, your customers, your, you know, your healthcare providers or any entity that's important to you as a healthcare organization. Like it just should be part of your everyday operating model. I wanna hone in a little bit more specifically on life sciences. Uh, since we were talking to Ryan and, and he works in that space, when you think about digital and the opportunities that are out there, 
How do you see it, um, life sciences organizations having an opportunity to improve their digital strategy and their tactics? So I think, um, you know, within the life sciences space, the big opportunity that I see is one that Ryan touched on a bit, which is the, the idea of fully integrating digital within your overall strategy and overall approach. Right. So when we think about um, something like a brand strategy or individual marketing plans, um, I think traditionally we have seen digital being separated out um, as kind of a sometimes secondary thought and not something that is top of mind when we're thinking about strategy implementation and how we are really going to bring tactics to the market. So I think if we are able to bring a more holistic and comprehensive view to that strategy process, as well as building out specific tactical plans, it will help us to better capitalize on the digital opportunities that exist. Um, because really, when we think about human behavior, our whole world is digital. So it no longer makes sense to think of digital as something separate or something that we add on, but rather should be fully integrated into those plans. For me, one of the most interesting parts of Ryan's conversation uh, and discussion was about uh, influencer marketing. And, um, you know, I, I think it was definitely a little jarring to me to kind of hear that as a potential opportunity. However, when I personally sort of think about who I follow on social media, I do have probably a much more connected relationship with folks like that, that I follow who are influencers. And I think the, the needle that is going to be hard to thread is people really are curating those social media feeds to fit a very specific image and narrative and things like that. And I, I think if you want to make headway and, partner with them about an upcoming medication that's launching, for example, you're going to have to get them to be comfortable discussing their condition, discussing their own personal health with their followers. And I think that's a really interesting opportunity because I, I can see some definite sort of niche areas where that would be really helpful. Maybe Crohn's disease, for example. I'm sure there are lots of influencers who are sharing diet and lifestyle tips and I could see a, a new medication launching for that. You know, it, it would be a really good opportunity to get in front of that audience because it's an audience that cares about that disease state. But I do think it's, it's an area where any misstep would be kind of amplified. You know, I think we've all seen sort of the vitriol that can flow very easily online. So I think that companies looking to, to work with individuals like that who have these large followings definitely have an opportunity, but they, they need to tread lightly and very carefully think about uh, how they reach it, reach those audiences. You know, what we're seeing is that those peer to peer type conversations and the, you know, HCP influencers are not just having these conversations in closed networks that are specifically designed for that type of professional conversation, right? They're, they're taking to Twitter, they're taking to Facebook and even Instagram in some cases to share this type of information and connect with one another, learn from one another, 
so that too has really um, thrown a bit of a wrench into the traditional mindset when it comes to social media, but it also has served to reinforce the fact that HCP customers are people too. And Mm -hmm. we, we always talk about meeting patients where they are or meeting consumers where they are. But um, the reality is that even those professional customers are on social media, um, are using mobile. So that's where the conversation has already been taking place. And I think there's an opportunity to engage with it there. Yeah, because I think it's just in its infancy still, and a lot of life sciences organizations haven't quite figured out um, what that interaction should and, and look like and how it should feel. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, so I, the other thing that Ryan mentioned that I thought was not jarring, but was um, really interesting, right, is that consumers access about 300 feet of content daily, and the need for um, healthcare organizations to uh, really kind of establish uh, a presence and gain some attention was interesting to me. So when you think about digital and about consumer behavior, how do you think healthcare organizations break through all the noise that consumers are engaging with in social circles? I think authenticity is one of the only things that breaks through anymore. And I think especially if they're trying to break through to talk to someone about their health, an authentic, empathetic connection is the way to do that. And I think that it's no, it's no easy feat, that's for sure. It's not like there's a tried and true formula for, um, for empathy or being able to connect. I, I think we've seen a lot of companies and brands sort of making the, in these trying times type ads and marketing um, that to try, to try and you know, position themselves in, their, in the consumer's life throughout you know, the course of this stay-at-home COVID-19 pandemic and, and all of the associated fear that goes with that. Um, but I think that you want to be empathetic, but not intrusive. I, I think that they, they still, consumers are still, I think, a little hesitant to digitally discuss their health. I still think they're relying on their connection to their physicians um, to talk to um, their health issues about, it, and maybe even to their connections to their to their family members, and I think that might be um, a, a way to to really reach out is to you know instead of giving a hotline number to talk about a certain condition, recommend talking to your doctor about it, and or talking to your your spouse about it, or your parents about it. Um, I think just anything that that life sciences companies can do to really show that the patient is at the center of their work and the center of their focus, which is something that we often hear internally, is sort of preached in, in values and, and vision and, and statements like that. The more you can get that message out and believed in the general population, I think the better impact you are going to end up having. So then how do you think companies ensure that they're keeping the patient central to their design strategy and their tactics? I think, um, you know, one way to do that, to kind of hold yourself accountable for, you know, not, as Mike said, not just 
saying or talking the talk about being patients first or patient centric, um, but actually doing it is by continually challenging yourself and, and the team to articulate what value will be delivered to patients through the development of whatever digital solution, right? So it's going beyond doing something new or innovative for the sake of innovation and rather doing it because it directly addresses an unmet need. Um, and I think going back to Mindy, your question around breaking through the noise and really the, the reality that life sciences is competing with all of the other digitally savvy organizations and companies out there. I think it's, it's that empathy, that authenticity that Mike was talking about, but also thinking outside the box and being creative about, you know, breaking the mold on the traditional pharma ad and considering ways to integrate, whether it's video content or some sort of interactive content, I think is the, the piece that would make it quote unquote thumb stopping, but then I think flashy content doesn't accomplish the goal. It needs to be paired with this patient's first focus that also um, holds up when it comes to addressing an unmet need that a patient is facing. And I always think about some of the points, Mike, that you've made in previous podcasts about designing for the end user and keeping that um, the utility behind something in mind um, because that's the value that you're going to bring to whether it's a patient or a healthcare professional. Yeah, and I, I think that talking to patients is a really important step in developing any kind of strategy or messaging or content. And I think life sciences companies are often hamstrung by their own sort of internal regulations and machinations about how they talk to patients. And I think one of the things that, that I found success with is looking at channels that are, that provide less friction. So if you already have an existing relationship with a patient advocacy group, or you have, you have colleagues internally that are patients that are willing to talk about their own experiences. Um, that is a way to really just think about how, how those patients would sort of interact with and receive any strategy or ideas that you have. And I think the, the more you can do that, um, the more information you can arm yourself with to really truly think about how the message you're creating is being viewed, not just what it looks like to you after it's created and after it's rolled out. Mike, I think that's a great point. And one thing I would add is there, the value that can come from data and analytics and insights gathered more in aggregate um, does not always equate to the value that comes from having real direct conversations with patients. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think um, that's where you're really going to get the nuggets of information that help shed light on 
what some of the problems are that wouldn't typically come to mind in, in more of a traditional, you know, market research or survey-based approach. So I totally agree. And I think that's where even if it's small numbers of patients identified through some of those creative avenues that you mentioned, there can be real value uh, derived from that. Digital's really come a long way when you think about where life sciences companies first started and how it's evolving so quickly. When you think about life sciences companies thinking about or planning for digital evolution, um, what do you think are the most critical aspects that they need to either adopt or make sure that they have buttoned down in order to be successful? To me, I think an over an overarching digital strategy that is connected to the larger brand or company or business unit strategy is incredibly important. And I think an additional way to buttress yourself or buttress the, your organization's um, ability to continually deliver in the digital space is just to make sure that as you are adapting for new formats, new audiences, new services, you are still delivering on that core digital strategy. And I think that as the TikToks and Instagram reels of the world continue to proliferate and sort of exponentially uh, grow in audience and in types of content they're able to disseminate. I think companies often get caught up in uh, creating a TikTok for the sake of having a TikTok channel, as opposed to thinking, okay, now we have this new tool that we may be able to use. How can we use this new tool to deliver on the strategy that we set out on in the first place. And I think if, if you, if you enable your organization to think strategy first and view new technologies or new channels as execution opportunities for that strategy, as opposed to new shiny toys that you need to have a presence on, because if you don't, then you're in trouble. Um, that I think is a way to ensure long-term digital success that doesn't rely on the ebbs and flows of where people's eyeballs are. I totally agree, Mike. I think one other thought that comes to mind for me, thinking towards the future and um, you know, considering what will be critical to ensure success is the way that we think about digital and really considering digital as um, a way to deliver on the customer experience and having that customer experience be what we lead with rather than having the tool or the platform or the channel be, you know, what takes the forefront. And I think, again, that's where we sometimes see a tendency to focus on the solution itself rather than the value that that solution will deliver. So it's almost flipping, um, flipping or switching our mindset around digital as the enabler of the end goal, which is customer experience. On that note, we are going to wrap up this episode and I would like to just thank both you and Mike for sharing some of your insights and your experience in digital and just um, allowing us to pick your brains a little bit on where we think this, this is evolving in the future of the healthcare world. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in this episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune in to the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.